Welcome to the Ideas on Stage podcast, your regular insight into leadership communication. Hi, Serena. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrea. It's great to be here. Yes, thank you very much for your time and for accepting my invitation to be part of our show. Today, Serena, I have to be honest, it's a bit of a special episode for me because normally when I have these conversations, I have a bit of an understanding of what we are talking about. In this case, today we are going to talk about how the food you eat and nutrition and well-being with your area of expertise is connected to our level of confidence and performance which is very much connected to public speaking and presenting as well and i'm not an expert at this so <laughs> it's a bit of a different situation but i'm super excited i'm really looking forward to hearing from you and learning from you today. And before we get started, just a, a little curiosity because I looked at your profile online and if I remember well, I've noticed something uh, and this has nothing, I guess nothing to, or maybe it has, I don't know, but maybe it has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today. But have you attended a the Landmark program some time ago? Yes, absolutely. Okay, is that the... Because I've, I don't know it, but I've heard of it. Is that like the kind of that big program, which also became a bit of a cult, not, not in a negative way, but I, I've heard of the landmark program several times. Is that the one that you did? Uh, I, I think so. I have heard that, that, that word used in relation to landmark before. And uh, essentially what landmark is, is a self-development curriculum. So it, it is a program with a series of programs, but the, the most widely known is called Landmark Forum, which is designed uh, to spark uh, uh, an incredible level of self-development in a short period of time. You know, it allows you to shift your thinking and to address um, aspects of your life which are in your blind spot that you don't see how they are negatively impacting your life. And it allows you to see it and it allows you to transcend it, essentially. Mm. Um, and yes, I have, I've, I've completed uh, the landmark cu curriculum and um, it has, it's, a, it's been an incredibly transformative experience. Uh, and it's interesting that you mentioned that. <laughs> you say it might not be closely interlinked with, um, with what we're going to talk about. And Actually, it is. Actually, of course, inevitably it is, because my experience with Landmark, uh, Landmark was the first um, kind of setup where I was able to do some public speaking on a whole other level. <laughs> so within that setting, I had my first experiences of public speaking, and I went from zero experience to speaking about some very personal topics as well, in front of, I think the largest audience was 150 people. Uh, and so um, had I not completed the forum, I probably would have not been able to enjoy that experience. I might have been able to do it, <laughs> but not actually enjoy it. And in fact, through the completion of the first course, the Langma Forum, I was able to not only do it, but actually enjoy it and, and thrive. 
So, um, yeah, yeah, it's very interesting great. that you picked up on that. <laughs> yeah, great. And because you also said that, for example, that gave you the opportunity to share with a group of people, even at a personal level. And again, you don't have to go personal, but just really before we get started today, would you like to tell us a little bit more about your background, your story? Oh. How how did you end up doing what you're, what you're doing and, and why, if you'd like to share that? Absolutely. That's a beautiful question that I always love to to, to share. Um, so the, the seed for health and wellness was planted in my consciousness at a very young age, right? When I was only eight years old, my father, who was a brilliant entrepreneur, a very a genius in his field, he really created a job, a profession that didn't even exist before his time. Sadly, he got very sick. And I realize now that he simply didn't have the tools to take best care of himself and nurture his health and well-being, whilst also dealing with the pressures of running a, a fast-growing, fast-paced, creative business, which really blew out in just a few years, um, as well as you know managing a team and uh, handling the pressures of a young family. And as a result of all this, this stress and overwhelm and his really lack of, of understanding on how to take care of himself through it all, he got really sick and ended up losing everything that he'd worked so hard for his entire life. And these had very profound repercussions, of course, on him and his life, but also mine as his daughter and our entire immediate family, but also his, our extended family. And his professional colleagues and his employees and his associates and his friends. And so I realized at a very young age, unconsciously at the time, of course, of how fundamental our health and well-being is for everything that we do and all the responsibilities and roles that we fulfill in our life. It really is the pillar upon which everything stands. And the moment that is taken away from us, nothing else matters to be honest. doesn't matter how rich, famous, or successful you are, you are going to be shooken to your very core. And it is so much easier, cheaper, and more effective to prevent a breakdown in that, in that area of our life than it is to resolve it once it happens. So I became unconsciously very committed to health and well-being, uh, my health and well-being first and foremost, and understanding all the tools, all the modalities that are required for us to take best possible care of ourselves. And it was really a passion for a very long time until eventually it became a profession in that I, I, I made a massive career shift. I went from working in corporate fashion for 10 years to pursuing uh, yoga, which is one of the modalities that is a part of a methodology, to pursue it uh, semi-professionally. I, I qualified as a yoga teacher and um, nutrition was always the most interesting field for me um, because it was also a challenge uh, uh, when I was young, growing up during my teenage years. It was a contentious area. And through the challenges that I experienced in figuring out nutrition for myself, I learned so much, especially of what not to do, to be honest. <laughs> and so it only but made sense um, once I made the shift into a professional wellness career that I also became a certified, certified nutrition consultant. And um, 
And now I work passionately in order to prevent scenarios like that, which I experienced when my dad got sick from ever happening to any of our shifters. And that's why predominantly we work with entrepreneurs, professionals, business leaders, because we understand the nature of the pressure that they're under and how difficult it can be, how easy it can be to neglect yourself. Um, but so kind of, it started very young unconsciously. And then through the years, it, it, it turned into what it is now, which is more than a job. Frankly, it's a life mission, if I'm honest. <laughs> life mission. I can see that. And Serena, thank you so much for sharing that, for being open about it. And, and I can relate it because, of course, although I haven't had a an experience like the one that you've described for your father i'm running my own business and mm. so there's always that tension between i want to succeed with my business i want to make sure that it goes well but at the same time i want to make sure that i am well and sometimes oh. it's not always easy so i can relate to that 100 percent I read your book, Make the Shift. At some point, you talk about a tri... I have it here, the tripod theory. There are three yeah. key elements, three key areas you talk about, focus, food, and fitness. Uh, briefly, I don't know if it's possible to do it briefly, but can you give us an overview of these three key areas that we should consider for our health and well-being? Yes, and by the way, you nailed it. Those are the three Fs, the three legs of the trial. So if you imagine your optimal level of health and well-being as sitting atop this tripod, right, a structure with three legs. Now, what happens to a tripod when even just one of the three legs is a little bit weaker than the others? Falls, falls over. Yes, it's either unstable or it falls over altogether. The structure is unstable. Now, in our experience, we always see busy professionals prioritizing maybe one or two if they are very committed two of the three apps but we have never met anybody who has been able to develop an effective and sustainable strategy across all the three pillars of health and well-being what that means is that as hard as they are working they are creating a state of imbalance in their life. They are, so their tripod is, is not balanced. It's still weak, wobbly, and falling down. So even if they're doing some good things, they come to us, they're like, well, why, why am I unable to achieve the results that I know I should, even though I'm working so, so hard? And the answer is because you don't have this holistic approach which allows you to strengthen all the three pillars. You're still neglecting some areas without even realizing often. So your structure as a whole is weak, even though you might be doing some things right. Yeah. So focus, food, and fitness. The focus pillar is anything around your mindset and mindfulness. We've got to remember that our mind requires as much care, attention, and training as our body, if not more. And that, sadly, is the area that we see most often being as being neglected simply because there is a lack of understanding on how to take care and train our mind and mindset. Food comes second after that. 
because and we'll delve a little bit deeper into this very important topic because what you put into your body determines how you experience life and it is so far reaching that sometimes we don't even realize how far reaching it is and like i said we'll have a chance to talk a little bit more about that and then fitness our bodies are designed to move and i'm talking about movement here i'm not necessarily even talking about training because many people we work with are completely against the gym they don't enjoy it it's not an environment that is conducive to them they have huge resistance around there and and that's brilliant you don't have to go to the gym but you have to honor your body's need and requirement for movement in a way that also is holistic because i don't know how far into the book you are but you will notice that within each of the pillars focus food and fitness there's another pillar so the whole structure is a little bit like a house of cards. And if you don't know what you're doing, it can feel a little bit overwhelming to tend to all these different aspects. Uh, but you will notice through working with us that we have developed a method which allows you to do so effortlessly. You're not even thinking about it and you are acting in a way that is completely sustainable, holistic and bespoke to you. Yeah, and... When you mentioned movement, uh, you made me think of something I've learned, I think many years ago, Serena, in a book, a book that I loved, Brain Rules by Dr. John Medina. And he talks about the importance of movement also from a, uh, demonstrated by research and science from, from, a, from a brain development perspective. Absolutely. Uh, and he said that if we look at our, how our ancestors used to live, that I think the start was that our ancestors used to walk for up to like 12 miles per day, 12 miles per day. Whereas what do minimum. we do today? Yeah. Min bare minimum, just to survive a day. Think about it. Yeah. And that, and that's, that's, that's it. The, our bodies have been developed through millions not thousands millions of years in the wild right our body today is the result of an evolutionary process which took place over millions of years the vast majority of which was in the wild modern city modern cities and modern city living is very recent news for our bodies like hundreds of years like and really, the very comfortable setups that we experience today, like a couple of generations, yeah. you know, because even our grandparents and great-grandparents didn't have access to all the leisures that we do today. So you're talking millions of years where our minimum energetic expenditure was massive yeah. just to survive a day. So it is wired in us, the need for movement. It is deeply embedded in us. However, what's also wired in us, and this is what kind of is tricking our bodies and brain in a way that is not always conducive, is the principle of conservation of energy. Because think about it, in the wild, like you said, just to survive, you work like so many miles and you have to hunt and gather, you have to escape predators, yada, yada, yada. So an organism that is unable to conserve energy in the wild is a higher risk of, of perishing. So 
we are there's this state of conflict whereby the body and mind are wired to conserve energy but they're also designed to expand it and you can become trapped into this conflict if you're not careful of it because yes the body loves to find the easiest way around things and it loves to be sedentary because it's conserving energy as much as it needs to move it loves to conserve energy but it needs to move got it right so it loves to eat the foods that are most calorie dense very rewarding very processed very rich because in the wild if you come across a bush that is that is giving you chocolate you're gonna stock up <laughs> that's not gonna happen any minute you'll stock up however the food that we're actually designed to it is is the one you filed in the wild most predominantly you know so it's it's uh, it's tricky it's tricky but it can be done <laughs> yeah. no i i yeah i i understand i understand the the, the dynamic you are describing uh, and now serena if, if we think about everything we've talked about so far focus food and fitness let's say in general health and well-being from your perspective what's the connection between all of that and our confidence our level of confidence our performance now i'm mainly thinking about confidence and performance in the context of doing something that requires or that creates a little bit of stress like for example giving a presentation speaking in public but it doesn't have to be just in that context in general from your perspective can you tell us more about the link you see between health wellness food all these kind of things and confidence and performance Fantastic question. So I would like to look at two different areas and two different aspects to, to really kind of delve into, into the answer. The first one is physical and physiological. And the second one is emotional and psychological, right? And let's, let's use food as the primary kind of example, uh, just to kind of make a very clear, a clear message. From a physiological and, and, and purely physical perspective. I, I always say this to our shifter, just to simplify the message so that I can really add huge value to you immediately. You can really think of food as two categories, right? Two fundamental categories. I'm oversimplifying for, for a good purpose, so, so bear with me. There are foods which give you more energy to do whatever you're up to than the energy required to process them, right? So they put money in the bank. They put energy in your bank, right? There are foods which require more energy for the body to process than the energy they give you to do whatever you're up to. So they're actually withdrawing from your energy bank, right? So from a physiological and strictly physical perspective, if you think about food in those terms, then you realize that it makes all the sense in the world that if you want to enhance your performance in, in life, but in work and in public speaking, being 
an activity that generally burns a lot of energy because for most people is a very um, stressful, like you said, at times even experience for you to optimize your nutrition so that you are actually not draining yourself with foods that take a lot of energy at a time when you're already burning a lot of energy through public speaking, right? Yep. Yeah. And uh, think about it. Think about Thanksgiving in the States or Christmas in Italy or in the UK. Like think about the Christmas meal, right? And think about what is your experience after consuming a Christmas meal. Yeah, you want to, you fall asleep. Nap. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right? So if you start looking at foods from this very kind of simplified perspective, I'm not saying it's that simple, by the way, but I'm just already kind of starting to, I, I want to simplify for the purpose of efficacy. Now, right? please do. Please continue to simplify because I'm not an expert. I guess that I, I think I can say that most of our listeners are not experts in this area. In so it's good, it's good to simplify, which doesn't mean that it's simplistic. We're just trying to no. find language that everybody, including me, can understand. So thank you for absolutely. that. No, no, absolutely. And so if you look at it this way, and if you think of it that way, then you start looking at your options from a different perspective, right? Because the other thing with food that it's important to bear in mind is, is that the experience of eating a food doesn't stop the moment you've chewed it and it's in your stomach. That's actually, in my humble opinion, that's when the whole thing begins. Mm. So I, I, at this point in my life and in my career, inevitably, I pay way more attention to the experience of food after I've eaten it than I do to the experience of chewing it. And ramming it down my throat and it reaching my stomach because the that will last minutes i'm a fast eater so <laughs> it, it, it won't take me very long to finish a meal however the experience of how my body processes the food i've eaten lasts hours or days sometimes more than that right yeah depending on what i've eaten so the moment you shift your perspective that you're like okay so if i'm public speaking today and that requires me a lot of energy, I need to make sure that I prioritize the kind of food that gives me energy, but doesn't take too much energy. Serena, on that point, because this is so relevant to, to our, our listeners, and then because you mentioned two areas, we, I'm going to, I, I promise you, I'm going to go back to the psychological... And emotional, yes. And emotional area as well. But if we stay here, based on what you said, can you give us some practical examples? Say that I need to give a presentation in, I don't know, you choose the context. It could be in an hour or it could be in one week, I don't know. But what are some of the, the, the foods and or drinks that, that we should be having before, yes. before that kind of situation? Yes. So the, the other misconception around this energy conversation with food is, is that you might experience certain foods as giving you a ton of energy very quickly like such as caffeinated drinks, processed sugar, like bars, chocolate bars, uh, anything processed. What essentially, what, what that means is, is that they have been, the ingredients have been refined so that 
fiber is taken out, water is taken out, nutrients are taken out, frankly, and you are left with a part of the ingredient rather than the whole ingredient, which means that the body can absorb the energy more quickly. The first processed foods ever invented were for soldiers who were at war or for astronauts, right? Who had to endure such extreme circumstances that they needed to get the most amount of energy in the shortest amount of time, right? And so it can become very easy to fall down the trap of prioritizing those foods because we want the burst very quick, burst, bam, to hit us quickly without the body having to do very much work. The issue with that is that you start this roller coaster, which I'm not sure I, I've experienced it in the past. I remember when I was working corporate in fashion and I wasn't as tuned in as I am now. It's very easy, you know, you just get want another coffee or another Red Bull or another cookie or another cake. The problem with those foods is, is because we have such quick release, the energy they give you doesn't last very long. So you then crash. So you want another one and then you then crash again and you want another one. So it's a vicious cycle, right? It gives you the illusion of giving you quick energy, but it's it's empty energy because your body doesn't think in terms of calories. Calories are man-made. We've created them. We've invented them as a unit of measure just to control and gauge things. But your body thinks in terms of nutrients. Your body doesn't just think, oh, I need 2,500 calories today. Your body thinks, I need all the vitamins, minerals, macro, micronutrients required to perform all my daily activities at my best. So when you give it food that is processed and therefore very nutrient poor because it's been refined so much, you might be giving it a ton of calorie and empty, empty energy, but you're not giving it all the nutrients that it needs. Therefore, it keeps asking for more and more and more and more and more. Yeah. That's how overeating essentially happens. And Serena, for, again, for me to understand, I I know nothing about this, almost nothing. Can you give me some some examples of what foods you are talking about, processed foods, which I understand are not good before certain kinds not of... Not ideal. Yeah, not, yeah, ideal. not ideal. For example, before speaking in public, I understand that that's not the only scenario, of course. And also, if you could do the same for instead foods and or drinks which are more ideal yes absolutely so there's very many ways of of classifying a processed food item again for the sake of simplicity and really driving the concept home is if it comes in a package right and has more than five ingredients to it generally speaking i would classify it as processed right or if he has ingredients in it, which you don't know what they are. Like they have scientific names around it. So, and by the way, this is this is not a hard rule. There are some food products out there that have more than five ingredients, which are so minimally processed that I would encourage our listeners to, to incorporate them into their diets. But if you're just starting with acquiring a level of consciousness around nutrition, these are some ideas that I would like you to start toying around with. Flick the package, read the ingredients. If it's, if it, well, first of all, if it's packaged already, there's a hint of suspicion there. 
but if he has more than five ingredients and he, and he has strange names that you don't really know what they are, then I would classify that as a processed food item, right? Mm. So, you know, cookies, the vast majority of them, I would classify them. There are some very good cookies out there, which I actually recommend to our shifters. There's these bars called the Naked Bars, which I, I eat and I recommend our shifters eat because if you read the ingredients, first of all, it's less than five, but also it's dates, cashews, chocolate chips, and vanilla. So it's all very natural stuff and they're assembled and the whole foods are in there. So they are minimally, they are not refined at all. Um, so great option. But if it's like the length of the ingredients is like takes you a good few minutes to read and you, and you don't know what some of that stuff is, then you know that it has a massive question mark next to it. I wouldn't prioritize it as your chosen snack before a speaking gig. I would rather you nurtured yourself with um, some fresh fruit, like a massive fruit salad, some trail mix, like your favorite roasted nuts, you know, or, or things that, you know, you can see what it is. Mm. The fruit, the fruit has healthy sugars. So the kind of sugars that don't turn into fat easily and that releasing your body in a way that is slow burning and effective. The nuts have healthy fats and tons of fiber and also some protein. So you're getting all the nutrients that you need and more, but in a way that the body is used to absorb, you know, and knows how to dissect and slowly release through the, over the course of, of your speaking gig. Understood. Uh, th that's great. So this is very practical and useful. And also, Serena, because you mentioned coffee earlier. Now, I have to say, I'm I'm a coffee lover. I love coffee. And but I also know that even even though I love coffee, I never have coffee before speaking in public because I know that with caffeine and everything. It's not a good combination, especially before a stressful event. So even if I love it, but never before speaking in public, it also has, whether we are aware of it or not, it also has, it has an impact on a voice, the quality of a voice. Of and voice is a very useful communication very tool. Uh, so you gave us, you told us something from a food perspective. In terms of drinks, so we know that we should not, drink coffee before speaking in public well i wouldn't recommend it again like you said you know I, I, by the way i love coffee myself my first my first cup of coffee in the morning is a sacred ritual uh, i've now weaned myself off fully caffeinated so i drink decaf even when i do drink coffee but it was a it was a journey you know it, i didn't do so overnight and it was purely for the reasons that you mentioned in that it's not just about something giving you energy. It's the quality of your energy that you're after. Because what coffee does is it stimulates your nervous. Okay, so I'm going to share something with you guys, which is very fascinating. Do you know what coffee actually is? What's the purpose of coffee? So coffee is a pl the plant protection mechanism against insects. So mm. the real purpose of coffee is for it to be eaten by an insect so that the insect dies on the spot and doesn't infest the plant. 
So it shocks the nervous system of an insect to the point where the insect dies. So the plant, the coffee plant, developed it to protect itself from insects. Interesting. So the actual purpose of coffee is to kill uh, an insect, right? Now, obviously, because we're not as tiny as an insect, our nervous system can take it and we don't die. But that's the intended purpose. Is to kill something that is way smaller than us. I'm saying this as a coffee lover, yeah? I'm not demonizing it. But we need to understand, okay, so this is shocking our nervous system. It's literally jolting it, right? So you might experience that jolt as energy, and it is a form of energy, but is it the most conducive energy for you to feel centered and focused and clear-minded and, and even-minded and effective in your communication. You know, I question that. And maybe some people can have a cup of coffee and great, do an amazing job at speaking right after, but maybe there are also other ways in which they can re-energize themselves without jolting their nervous system into essentially fight or flight. So you're going into something that perhaps you're nervous about, such as speaking, and you're jolting yourself into further fight or flight with that jolt to your nervous system from the caffeinated drink you know exactly and that's exactly what i meant when i said that th- that kind of combination mm-hmm. is not a good combination right. yeah so i would say d- definitely water water i guess is always I mean, good any, any anything can... else J- just just checking yes i mean absolutely if you enjoy um tea like already black tea although it has caffeine uh it, it's less potent as far as the the jolt to the nervous system than that and generally we have it with milk and and you know it's more diluted unless you make it really strong so so if you're just transitioning you could start by just doing this shift from that very strong coffee experience to a more mellow uh, light black tea with some plant milk of your choice or you could go into herbal teas as well which the world is your oyster these days there's so much out there even green tea which is an acquired taste not everybody loves it but there's a lot of different variations out there and it has some traces of caffeine in it because it's so chock full of antioxidants and other beneficial um, substances. It kind of evens out. It evens out that little bit of caffeine that you find in it. And it's a more subtle and slow release of caffeine than, than a cup of coffee. So that could be a, a smart a smart trade-off. Um, there's these amazing... Um, if you, if you, some people we work with are literally not used to drinking water, right? Which it's, it's, it's sad when that's the case because we are 70% plus water. So mm-hmm. you, you're literally, you've lost, exactly, cheers to that. You've lost the taste from the elixir of the ultimate elixir of life. But it happens, it happens, you know, society is wired to lead us astray in that sense. But if you're just now reacquiring your taste for water, do what you've got to do. Put some chopped fruit in it, orange, or, or even like cucumber or mint, or even try, I don't know, dash, which is a brilliant flavored sparkling water to begin with or just uh, gradually reacquaint yourself to the experience of drinking water and become present with what a difference it does to your energy levels, you know, to your speech. Literally, you're clearer in your voice. You're clearer in your mind because you're cleaner from the inside out in your body. And the feelings will become so positive 
that by association, you'll be motivated to drink more of it. And through doing so, you will reacquire the taste for it. Great. And what about alcohol? Like, <laughs> is, it, is it a good or is it a bad idea to try and calm down Take your the nerves edge off. Yeah. Yeah, with a, maybe with a glass of Glasses whiskey or wine or or any and alcohol in general what would you tell us from your perspective well inevitably i i wouldn't promote it as as a as a as a solution to be honest because alcohol does the opposite which is that it it, it, it dumps down your nervous system you know, so much as you don't want to be extra wired and into fight or flight, you also don't want to be a dumbed down version of yourself at a time when you want to give your best, yeah. you know. And and if you're nervous around public speaking, I can see why the temptation would arise because it forces you into a more relaxed state or, or you perceive yourself as being more relaxed. What you really are, like I said, is a toned down version of yourself, right? Instead of you on top gear you are a sleepy version of yourself mm -hmm. the sleepiness you might perceive as relaxation but you're essentially a sleepier version of yourself and that's not what i would want to be at a time when i'm trying to convey an important message right yeah. so so but and there are other ways to achieve that same level of relaxation without the sleepiness and the dumbing down of your nervous system attached to alcoholic beverages for, for um, example and any ideas that come to mind well yeah to be honest uh, we fall into the realm of the focus pillar at this point of course eating the right things and drinking the right things is of utmost importance but i think it is also really important to develop strategies at the level of mindset and mindfulness which allow you to feel in control somewhat of your nervous system right in control of your feelings and emotions right which essentially equals somewhat in control of your thoughts or at least of the thoughts that you give attention to right because just to demystify the whole focus pillar we've got to realize that nerves the feeling of being nervous or anxious which is a feeling it's an emotion right it's an emotion that becomes a physiological response in the body all emotions and all feelings stem from a thought you have a thought that thought generates an emotion which results into the body's physiological response to that emotion the challenge is that the thoughts can happen so quickly that you don't even see them you don't pick up on them they're not conscious they almost unconscious or semi-conscious yet you're left with the lingering emotion which is anxiety. And that emotion is generating a physiological response, which is fight or flight. But if you want to work at the root level, you've got to work at the level of your thinking. You've got to start developing strategies which allow you to, number one, identify the thoughts that generate anxiety. Number two, upgrade them. Because thoughts are habits of the mind. And, and if you remain unconscious about them, they, they keep running you and therefore running your life. But if you start developing strategy which allow you to become conscious and present, 
and even more so strategies that allow you to rewire your thinking, upgrade your thinking, then you can overcome the stress and anxiety attached with public speaking at its roots instead of just looking for quick band-aids to, to cover the problem. Which, yeah. by the way, there's a time for, for that too. But the, so it's not like a, you shouldn't look at, at the solutions which allow you to feel the best in the moment. But you also need to, I also encourage you to go at the root of, of okay, so what are the thoughts that are really causing the anxiety here? And how can I upgrade the, that my thinking? Yeah. And for example, one of the things I always do before any presentation and I always encourage uh, our clients to do the same. And I don't know, Serena, if this is something, maybe it's something that you would classify as one of those techniques that can help you not necessarily addressing the root cause. But I would love to hear your thoughts because you also mentioned focus and, and being present and mindfulness. Breathing, for example, to me is so, so useful. After this oh, conversation, I, I'm going to give a presentation. I've got like 45 minutes and then I have a presentation. And I, I always take some time, even if it's just one minute, to, to breathe. Breathing in through the nose, breathing out through the mouth. And uh, for, me, for me, it's fantastic. Our clients always tell us that it's very useful as well. And it's Absolutely. one of those practical things you can do instead of whiskey or, or wine, because <laughs> you are so you are so right. We think that we are more relaxed, but um, the the effect, the perception that the audience will will get is is a bit different. I, I, I mean, don't think know. about it. Think about whenever you witness somebody being drunk at a time when you were not. I know maybe it doesn't happen that often, but I don't drink alcohol anymore. So it happens to me quite often. And they think they are brilliant. <laughs> but actually, you as a sober person see the full spectrum of what's going on. And yes, maybe they're being funny and stuff, but they're definitely intoxicated. Like you can tell that somebody is intoxicated, that they're not being brilliant. They're just they're probably brilliant anyways but like their brilliance is not caused by the booze if anything the booze is creating a state of intoxication you know yeah and now Serena let's go back because I promised you that we would go back to the if I remember well the psychological errors as well so we talked a lot about the physiological uh, element you mentioned that there is a psychological element as well that we need to consider yeah. right yeah, absolutely. Psychological and emotional. And that is powerful. And I see that in all the all of our shifters, but you know, at the fundamental level, everybody we ever work with, they come to us fully aware and present with the fact that they are not taking the best care of themselves, right? They might not maybe realize the full extent or not truly know what to do with that realization, but they know deep inside that they are in a state of breakdown with themselves and with their bodies, right? When you are in a place where you know that you are not doing your best by your body, that has an impact on your level of, of confidence that is profound and far-reaching. It's frankly the ultimate imposter syndrome, right? You are trapped in a body that is not performing to the best of its ability 
and that body is not performing to the best of its ability because you're not taking the best possible care of it. This doesn't make you a bad person, first and foremost. So please don't use it to judge and berate yourself. But you are never going to feel like your most confident self when you are in that scenario, right? When you are in a scenario where there is a breakdown between you and your own body, right? Think of it this way. Think about driving a car that you've just done a full MOT on and a full check and you've filled it up with gas and you've changed the oil and you've uh, filled up the tires and you've done everything and anything that you know you can do to take the best possible care of your car. Think about driving that car for a very long trip versus a car that you have not paid a lot of attention to in a long time or that you know is short on gas, or that you know you haven't changed the oil in a long time, or that you know that you haven't done an MOT in 15 years, and that broke down just yesterday, you know? What would make you feel more confident? What yeah. would make you feel more present and more empowered and stronger, you know? And what would maybe make you embark on the journey feeling at your best? Your body is the Ferrari you drive through life. That's what I always say to our shifters, you know. Thanks if for we... choosing that. Thanks for choosing that brand and not another one. <laughs> <laughs> I am still Italian. <laughs> I am still Italian, you know. But so when you think of it that way, when you think of your body as the vehicle which allows you to fulfill all your responsibilities, you know, literally the vehicle through which you can do anything and everything, including driving your Ferrari, if you're lucky enough to have one, then you're like, oh, no, I need to take care of this vehicle. Like, what would I do if I had a Ferrari? Would I litter it? Would I neglect it? Would I toss junk in it? Would I? No, I would, I would literally go above and beyond. I would buy the most premium fuel, the most high quality oil. I would cover it at night so that it doesn't get scratched by the foxes. I would do the MOT reg. I would stay on top of its maintenance. Uh, Serena, this is so interesting. And by the way, another great analogy. And it all makes <laughs> a, it all makes a lot of sense. And as you explain your your approach, your ideas, I'm thinking about myself. And 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 it's interesting because I first of all, I don't think that I'm treating my my own body like like a ferrari and i i think i can say the most i i think i can say that most people are not doing it either and and this kind of contradiction is is interesting i guess because we know that you're right it is perhaps the one of the if not the most important thing that that we have that we should nurture on the other hand, it seems that there's always something, More something important. else that takes priority. Yes. And this, I want you to know, and I want the listeners to know, it's not our fault. Don't make yourself wrong for it and don't feel guilty about it. Some of the reasons why this is stem from our culture, our background, maybe the way in which our parents operated, not because they're bad people, just because they didn't know any better or society 
which emphasizes giving greater importance to material possessions than than taking care of our body. You know, I I sometimes come across I we work with very high achievers, very successful individuals, people who who have achieved immense professional success, who find it very hard to buy premium quality, expensive organic food because they that's that they have been trained to think of that area as an area where they need to save money. So maybe they have three iPhones and a Porsche, but organic lemons are an outrageous waste of money because why would you buy organic if you can buy regular and it's 30% cheaper, right? Now, this is not, they're not bad people. Uh, it's just, what well, those are the habits that they have nurtured knowingly or unknowingly. And, and those habits are a result of so many influences you know, so many influences that, you know, sometimes there's not even point unpacking all of that. It makes more sense to just realizing, oh, look, I'm not used to spending a lot of money on myself. I'm not used to spending a lot, a lot of money on health and well-being. Yes, you can go into why that, that is, and maybe you'll find some value into understanding why that is. But what's even more important is just realizing it and going like, you know what, I want to upgrade that way of operating and being, because now I realize that my body is the Ferrari. I drive through life. So I'm going to make some changes and you gradually upgrade your habits around food or around health and well-being. Yeah. Okay. So Serena, I I have a a few other questions or or topics I'd like to explore. Let me see. We've got maybe 10, 15 minutes before we wrap up. Now, one question I wanted to ask you is around a particular chapter in your book. Again, make the shift for listeners. And you, you talk about how to eat like an empire builder. Now, I've read the chapter. I, I know what that means. Here is my question for our listeners. Could you please, first of all, give us some context so that they understand what you mean by eating like an empire builder? I know that in, in the book you talk about the brain and that kind of context. Yeah. And then, yes, if you'd like to expand a little bit so that we understand how to do that as well. Yeah. Uh, so essentially, it's, it's this realization. We've touched a little bit on it when we were talking about the foods that give you energy versus the foods that take energy away. And, and, and it's this shift in attitude around food where you really see it as a fuel, right? A fuel that allows you to fulfill your potential in whatever it is. And it's sad because I work with many entrepreneurs and professionals and sometimes there is this mindset almost as if it was a nuisance, you know? So... So it's like, oh my God, I'm, uh, I wish I didn't even have to eat, you know. So it's either that or not paying any attention to it whatsoever and going with the habits that they developed through their entire life without much mindfulness around the implications and the impact that the food that they're eating is having on how they're performing in their business, you know. And if you really switch your mindset and see your business as an extension of yourself, which as an entrepreneur, I think is a fundamental ma- mindset to maintain, right? It's not me versus the business. It's me out of which the business becomes, right? Your business is a manifestation of you, is an extension of you. So in some respect, the way that you take care of yourself is the way that you take care of your business, right? 
if you don't take care of yourself, you're not taking care of your business because without you, there is no business. So the moment you make that mindset shift, you will find it easier to prioritize the right activities and to look at nutrition from a different perspective, right? It's not just a separate thing from your business. It's fundamental. It's clearly deeply intertwined. What foods you choose to eat determine how much energy you will have to fulfill your daily responsibilities. And like we said, what kind of energy, not just how much, right? Yeah. But also the attitude around it, the attitude around self-care will manifest in how you take care of your business, how you take care of your employees or what kind of energy they pick up on you, essentially. Are you running on empty or are, or are people and the business benefiting from the overflow of energy that's outpouring from you because you're taking such great care of yourself? Understood. And let's talk about books now because I'm I'm a not only a coffee lover, but I'm also a book lover. I, I love, love reading. It. Now... In addition to your own resources, uh, we've mentioned uh, make the shift, and and if there is anything anything else, feel free to to mention if you've got anything coming up. But also, even beyond your own resources, if you think about everything we've talked about, and mm -hmm. uh, now it doesn't have to be the link doesn't have to be that clear. Although if you've got something in mind, that would be amazing. If we think about the connection between nutrition, food, yes. focus, mm -hmm. fitness, and confidence and performance. Yes. Is there one book in particular that comes to mind that you would recommend? There's two. Can I say, can I mention two? Even better. So the first one is called The Pleasure Trap by Dr. Lyle, right? And, and it delves deep into that, that challenge that we face as human beings, whereby we are wired to conserve energy, but we're also designed to burn energy, right? And and the Dr. Lyle called this the pleasure trap, right? And the, and he, he he talks about it and explains it with tons of metaphors. You will love it, but in a way that although it's completely science based, these are all very esteemed doctors. It's very um, understandable, and it it delves into things that we can do to break free from this trap to not to to not remain trapped into this uh, dichotomy that can sap a lot of energy from our life so the, the pleasure trap number one number two is a book by the most esteemed nutrition expert in the world if you ask me which is dr colin campbell who has studied and researched nutrition for his entire career which spans over i don't know 50 years plus now and he's the head of uh, the the school where i acquired my certification he's a doctor of nutrition science at cornell university he's an incredible human being and he's written some incredible books but for the purpose of the topic that we've just covered, I would recommend his book called Whole, W-H-O-L-E, Whole. Right. And, that and, and for our listeners, I'm going to include both, both books in the show notes. Yes, and that book talks about the difference between processed foods and unprocessed foods and why shifting our mindset around nutrition to look at the whole food and why it's good for you and how it works. Um, is going to transform your life and, and it's going to allow you to tap into the real powers of food and to really 
make peace with food and for food to become an amazing tool in your life to which will facilitate you achieving all your goals and beyond you know you will make peace with food through that book and you will make peace with your body as a result you know because when you're not at peace with food and nutrition you're really not at peace with your own body right so powerful book amazing so thank you very much today we've got two books not just one even better mm-hmm. and as we get to the end of our conversation, Serena, if anybody wants to connect with you, what should they do? Where do they find you? And again, if you've got anything in particular that you'd like to, to, to share with our, with our listeners, feel, feel free. Yeah. Uh, so our website, wholeshiftmethod.com is, is a great place to get started. You can even download a free a PDF copy of my book uh, from the website, or you can get the paperback on Amazon. And um, that's a very effective way of getting in touch with us. I'm also quite active on social media, uh, on Instagram at Whole Shift Wellness, same on Facebook, on LinkedIn as Serena Sabala. I post tons of articles regularly articles regularly so those tend to be the main the main ways to get in contact with us the the usual suspects uh, website social media yeah and and I, w- I always like to close with one one question now if you think about everything we've talked about What's the one thing, what's the most important thing, if there's one thing you would like our listeners today to to remember and and take away from this conversation, what is it? Don't wait. Start now. Do something today. Leverage whatever you've gotten out of this conversation to do something small, a tiny action, whatever it might be, whether it's getting my book or one of the other books I recommended or whatever is following me on Instagram to get inspirations or, or book a consultation, whatever it is, take action today. If you know that you're not doing your best at taking care of yourself, don't wait for it to be doctor's orders in order to take action because prevention will be a hundred times cheaper, a hundred times faster, and a hundred times more effective than having to fix a problem once it becomes so. So, and, and, and also you will benefit in ways that you can't even imagine. You, it's a win-win. So don't wait and do something today. All right. And before we close, anything else? Is there a, maybe a question that you would, you would have liked for me to ask and I didn't do it? Any other areas you'd like to explore? Anything else you'd like to mention before we close? Sure, I'd like to mention a course which I'll be launching uh, by the end of the year, which is particularly relevant to female leaders and public speakers or entrepreneurs, which is how to rebalance your hormones with food. And this is a topic that I have delved deep into upon request from so many professionals. It's a big and contentious topic that of hormone imbalances. And it's one that really affects the performance of especially female leaders in the workplace um, so it's closely intertwined with what we've just discussed. So if, and I, I've done, and I will continue to do events around there. I'm also working on a book around there, but I have a course outlined that I'm finalizing and I'll be launching by the end of the year. So if any of your listeners is interested 
in finding out how to rebalance your hormones with food, feel free to get in touch and I'll make sure to keep you in the loop. Fantastic. So Serena Sabala, Hoshif to Wellness, thank you very much. It's, it's, I really appreciate your, your time and you sharing your, your insights, your knowledge, even your transparency and openness, especially at the very beginning of the, of the conversation with your background and your story and your father. And thank you very much again. Let's keep in touch and all the very best. Ciao. Thank you. Ciao for now. If you enjoyed this episode of the Ideas on Stage podcast, there are many more you might like. So please subscribe, leave us a review, and tell us what you think. You can find many more ideas on business communication at ideasonstage.com or by searching for Ideas on Stage on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and goodbye for now.